Hey there, and welcome to the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast, where we focus on re-sparking your inner purpose using empowered action and personal growth tools. I'm Jayla Ray Ardeline, your host and late career Army Mill Spouse. I joined this lifestyle later in life and the learning curve was gigantic. Since the day I said yes to this relationship over five years ago, I've been collecting and curating personal growth tools to support you. So excited you've tuned in. Hey everyone, thank you for joining me for this anniversary episode. I am so stoked that the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast is one year old now. <laughs> kind of can't believe it. Uh, if you recall, I started this podcast with a deployment series because I wanted to capture the journey and the experience as it was happening throughout the 12 months of deployment. It turned out that you was only there for 11 months. We got it shortened to one, but that's a very long time. And it match, it almost matches the amount of time that the podcast has existed as well. But in this episode, it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to hear some clips from past episodes, some things that I've pulled out that people have really resonated with, or they've they've told me they want to hear more about. There's going to be some clips from the, I guess you could call it top performing podcast episodes. I'll just call it out right now. How to approach traumatic events during a deployment is the number one episode on this podcast. And that shocked me. <laughs> it doesn't shock me. And yet it does shock me. Um, so you'll hear a clip from that episode. And mostly this is going to go in chronological order so that you get a recap of what the deployment experience was like for me over the past year. Fun fact, most podcasts don't make it to a year. A lot of people give it up or need to quit for some reason prior to that moment. And now that I'm a year in, I, I fully feel and understand why that is. Uh, this is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And unfortunately, I'm not in a position to hire this process out and take it off of my plate. And I will be eventually I'll get there. But for right now, I, I do everything for this podcast. I am editing everything. I am putting everything together, all of the social media content, all of the clips, all of the graphics, everything you see is coming from me. If you would like to support the podcast, uh, it makes it go down a little bit easier so that I can keep bringing everything to you. There should be some sort of link or button at the top of where you see the podcast. Uh, I think it's just on Spotify, if I'm not mistaken, but you can contribute to the podcast. It's of course not a requirement. I just thought I'd call it out. It is there. It is there. What you're also going to hear is a new clip on reintegration at the end of this anniversary episode. So I'm excited to bring that to you at the time that I recorded the reintegration clip. He had been home for about five weeks and we were in the middle of preparing to PCS overseas. So there was a lot going on, but I wanted to make sure that I captured what our challenges are specifically after he has come home. So please enjoy that as well. So let's dive into the first anniversary episode of the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast. Thanks, y'all. Hey there. So 
we are T minus three days from the day that Jeremy deploys. He's gonna hop on a plane. Luckily, I think I get to take him to the airport um, and we're just soaking up the remainder of the time that we have left with each other. But there are a few things I've noticed about what I am emotionally available for at this time. Sometimes it's easier to manage our emotions when we start pushing that person away before they actually leave, before they are actually gone. And I've noticed I'm doing a little bit of that. <laughs> of course, I don't notice it until after it's already happened, but I have this sense that engaging in deeper intimacy feels like I might just break down and cry as a result of that. And I don't just mean physical intimacy, I mean um, emotional intimacy as well. And it's clear to me that Jeremy is really taking more time and effort to make space for that right now. And I deeply appreciate it. And also I'm not feeling available for it, which is weird, right? Because knowing that he's about to leave for a year, you'd think that you'd take every opportunity to be and feel that close to them. Um, what I'm reminding myself of is that, you know, first of all, I've never done a deployment, so I'm not sure how I'm going to feel throughout this process. I mean, I can take, I can take a, a guess, but allowing myself to feel something differently than what I pictured is giving myself grace at this time. We are at the end of week one of deployment, seven days have officially passed. And what I want to emphasize is that I am capturing this journey as I move through it, which means that some of this information isn't massage to give you a beautiful piece of wisdom or insight. I feel that this is more about solidarity for those who know what it's like to experience a deployment. If I've caught you out there and you're currently amidst a deployment, I hope this brings you a little bit of hope, a little bit of solace. And this is just to capture the rawness of it all so that when it's over, I never forget all of the nuances as to why it was so difficult or you know what beautiful gifts this experience gave me. Sometimes it's really easy to move through an experience and when you come out the other side, you kind of package it up. You, you put it in like a little box with a bow essentially and you give the gift of that wisdom to someone else. And while I do hope that I can do that for somebody at the end of this deployment, I think it's also important to capture the journey itself. So let's get into week one.
My circumstantial depression was at an all-time high this past week. I wasn't taking proper care of myself. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't drinking hardly any water. I was getting more and more dehydrated. I delayed showering and washing my hair, which is something I resist doing when I'm feeling super off and not like myself. Um, and the house was a complete disaster and I just wanted the deployment to be over. Um, I also had like a really big mood swing. I think on Monday or Tuesday, I was feeling really good about everything. I was like, oh, I've hacked this. And then I swung down really, really low promptly after that. So just a lot going on. Um, work was also pretty intense, but it was it was more intense because I was refusing to do the things that would make me feel better. So all of life was feeling impossible. And I don't, I don't think it's realistic to say that we take really good care of ourselves all of the time. I think it's more realistic to say that we go through these bouts and these periods where we're not taking such great care of ourselves and we kind of know the indicators leading up to that, or at least we can see them after it's over. So anyway, the week ended really, really good. But one of the things that led to Lindsay even coming out over the weekend was that on Thursday, I believe it was, I was texting my husband and I told him how I wasn't doing very well. And he said, you need to hang out with friends this weekend. Like, what are they up to? Make some plans. And I gave him a bunch of excuses for like, oh, this person is doing this and busy with that. And like, this person is out of town. And, um, you know, I don't want to bother this other person. And it was all just because I was resisting the things that I knew would bring me happiness again. And that's kind of what feeling a deep sadness is like for me. I know what will make me feel better, but I feel incapable of doing it. I feel incapable of devoting the energy to doing it. Um, I was also just feeling a lot of resistance around being around people because I knew how poorly I was doing and I didn't want to bring anybody down. And this is 100% a universal feeling. And if you're listening to this and you're in that position or you have been in that position before, I swear to you, whoever it is that you are resisting spending time with for fear that you are being a Debbie Downer, that your problems are too big and that person will be annoyed or won't want to listen to you or won't call you back or what the hell ever it is. 90% of the time, it is not true. They want to be there for you. You just have to let them do it. And you have to be the one to reach out sometimes. You have to be the one to say, hey, I'm not doing really well. Would you mind grabbing coffee? Would you mind, you know, coming over? Or can we schedule something this week to meet up so I can talk? So today my husband was promoted. <laughs> uh, 
And oh gosh, I'm already going to cry because I'm just so damn proud of him. Um, And as you know, he is deployed. So we were able to do like a web conferencing promotional ceremony. And the unfortunate thing about having to do the web conferencing, first, let's start with what's wonderful about that. I could have just not seen the ceremony at all. Fortunately, this is not a combat deployment. So I think there's a little bit more, there's definitely more flexibility in terms of his schedule. And then there's also more accommodations that are made that I'm highly aware of. So the fact that they even had a web conference for the family was amazing. And it was just really fun to be in the same like web room as the kids and as my mom and a couple other members of his family, uh, just to witness him being promoted. But the weird thing about it is that I have never experienced a promotion or a ceremony or anything. So my husband and I met right after he got promoted. So I was not, you know, obviously not there for the ceremony, Um, And we've been together for six years. So this is, this is the time we are now upgrading. (laughs) He's now receiving a promotion from major to Lieutenant Colonel. And the reason I'm bringing it to the podcast is because I realized today in his speech that this is actually the second time that this has happened to him, that he is being promoted during a deployment or even a, a training cycle. So I know that this happens. I've, I've heard other military spouses mention this, um, that it's very different when they are apart from you and there's still a promotion. And it's also really strange for them to actually celebrate that. I mean, I know there's like all these kinds of traditions and parameters that go into that ceremony and then the party afterwards. And... <laughs> I couldn't participate in any of that. (laughs) I couldn't even like help him. I couldn't even help him coordinate anything really. So that that's just the part about it that is really unfortunate, but it went really well. (laughs) And I wanted to mark this because in his remarks, he spent time on each of the children. So my husband had two stepchildren in his former marriage. And so when we talk about how many kids he has or how many kids we have, we typically say four. There are only two biological children, but he raised his stepchildren for a huge chunk of their life. Um, And they still consider him to be a father figure. And even though I am not technically their (laughs) stepmom, I'm basically their stepmom. He spent a little bit of time telling kind of funny anecdotes about each of the kids and what it was like for them to grow up with a dad who would deploy as often as he did when he was in the infantry. And this was, you know, before my time, these stories are before my time and I've, I've heard them before and I love hearing them because I love to get to know the kids on a deeper level and those memories, it's important that he continues to share those memories with them so that they can carry them forward as well. And then he spent a little bit of time thanking me and 
of course it made me cry. And it was so, it was so hard to not be witnessed in my reaction to what he said. And I'm realizing now that I say that out loud, that that's, that's actually what's so hard about all of it is that I could still see the camera on and everybody's kind of, you know, flooding the room because they've stood up from their seats and they're shaking his hands and, you know, giving him hugs and everything and and saying congratulations. And I see him pull out his phone and I was like, oh my gosh, is he about to text me? And he did. And it was just so weird to see him in a room texting me (laughs) from like nine hours into a different time zone. (laughs) He texted me and asked, you know, like, did it go well? Like, was my speech okay? All of the things. And so I had to tell him that, you know, what he said made me cry through a text. And that is just, that was such a letdown. I wish we, I wish we could have been together and I could express that to him in person. What I appreciated about what he had to say in his thanks to me was it was focused on everything that I do do that I forget myself. Sometimes I forget how much that I really do balance on a daily basis that has nothing to do with the deployment. The deployment is just on top of what's already there. So the title of this is How to Approach Traumatic Events During Deployment. And I want to note that I'm not a trauma-informed coach. I'm just a human going through a really hard time with a constellation of traumas compounding on one another. I'm experiencing family deaths and one that was completely unexpected, which was traumatic AF. And as I'm sure you know, grieving is a very heavy process. So in terms of driving out here to Utah, unfortunately, I felt as though I needed to rush in order to make it here on time. It was really clear that my grandma was not going to make it for very much longer. She had been on hospice care for a few months and things just took a turn. So I got a call from my mom um, that it wasn't looking good. And the nurses had said any day now. Uh, And luckily I have such an amazing, wonderful support system at work that I was able to receive that phone call and then leave my home within 12 hours of that phone call in order to begin my drive out here to Utah. Um, And I've done some solo long distance driving before, uh, but I think the max I've ever done was 11 hours alone. And that has been at least probably like 10 years ago. Um, And I know that part of military life is actually long distance driving, especially if you're PCSing or you're going to visit family, whatever the situation may be. But normally it's me and my husband doing it together. So the fact that I had to do it alone, um, I was very nervous to do that. Um, But 100%, I knew that I had to. I had to at least try to get here in time to say goodbye to her. And I did make it. Um, I arrived on the second day of driving kind of later in the evening 
where my family um, had already been gathering for the day, kind of expecting her to pass that day anyway. I made it to her bedside and I was able to hold her hand and tell her how much I loved her and everything I needed to say. And that was pretty amazing. And then she died the next afternoon. Um, and I had a couple family members joke that she was probably just hanging on because she knew that I was coming and that I wanted to say goodbye to her and that I was driving there, which I don't know if it's actually true because she was completely incapacitated. I have no idea if she heard anything that I said or could hear anything that anyone was saying. So, and this unfortunately is just a few months after my stepdad passed away from a heart attack earlier this year. But experiencing those two things back to back has not only been hard for me, but especially for my family. And not having Jeremy, my husband here, to be a regular support system is probably the most difficult aspect of it. Whether or not you've heard previous episodes before, I'll, I'll let you know that like, we found out that he was going to deploy and then what was it seven or 10 days later, my stepdad died, which was incredibly unfortunate timing. And so while we were preparing for him to deploy, I was grieving the loss of my stepdad and it became very clear to me that I would have to do most of that grieving alone because he was leaving soon. So let's transition into some feedback I got on Instagram. Um, so one said, you know, just under the context of how to approach traumatic events during deployment. I think it's important to note that the deployment itself can be trauma if not emoted through. And then anything on top of that can just be a tailspin. <laughs> and this is so true because that's basically what I just described to you guys. I'm having like my own you know, personal life traumas that have nothing to do with military life. But because my husband is deployed, it feels as though nothing is really letting up or slowing down. There's not really a brake pedal on anything right now. It just feels like I am like moving way too fast down a hill and I have no control over the speed whatsoever. Um, and what I wanted to point out here was that, yes, deployment itself can be a trauma if you're not if you're not processing it as it's happening, if you're not allowing those emotions to kind of flow through you and happen, if you are suppressing everything, for example, and you're not allowing yourself to feel it, um, that's only going to cause more problems later, right? Yeah, experiencing a deployment depending on those circumstances, can be very traumatic in itself. So I just wanted to validate that. Okay, so um, I do have one tip on how to approach traumatic events during a deployment, and it's going to sound really, really basic, but it's an incredibly important question to ask yourself. So what you really need to ask yourself is, what can I let go of right now? What can I drop and pick back up at a later time? And put another way, what can I deprioritize? I'm so glad you brought that up, Rachel, because 
first of all, this is this is not like a combat deployment. So he's not returning with like a unit or anything like that. He's yeah. coming home by himself. So this is already not going to be <laughs> what I pictured. It's going to be one person coming down the escalator at the airport. There's no like celebration or, you know, um, music or, or other families around or, or anything like that. Um, so it's already off base from what I yeah. see. <laughs> you know what though? They usually are like, I yeah. hate to say it like, cause um, my husband's career is a lot like that. Sometimes it's smaller groups of people that are just going. And so sometimes it's just me there and that's it. Um, but even the first deployment that he had, um, it was at Fort Campbell and it was the 101st. And so, you know, that's a huge, big celebration. And I was told the time is like, they get in at like, X, you know, this time. And so I'm getting ready and mind you, I am like seven months pregnant. I'm huge pregnant and I'm taking forever. And I get a phone call and they're like, just kidding. They get here in like 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So I'm like running out the door, you know, trying to hurry and get there. And I get there and there's all these people coming off a plane and everybody's got signs. I don't have any signs. Cause I'm like, I, I'm lucky my, I'm like enclosed at this point, like seriously. And so I'm looking and looking and I can't find him anywhere. And I'm like, you have that moment where you're like, I'm going to know who he or she is as soon as I see him. And that didn't happen. He totally got brought somewhere else. Like, <laughs> so it wasn't me. He wasn't there. So our homecoming was a bunch of people in a van and he just kind of walks out and gets in our car and is like, hi. And so... <laughs> That's, I mean, anticlimactic. <laughs> oh, I know. But like making that picture in your head, it would be great if it was, but knowing ahead of time of like, this might not happen the way I picture it is so good because then you're not going to be disappointed. You're just gonna be like, I'm just glad they're here. And I wasn't helping myself or supporting myself in at least moving toward a little bit more success with my mental health. I was unwilling and I kept myself there and stuck for a lot longer than I wanted to. And one of, I mean, this may not be, I don't know. I, I can't help it. I need to bring the Enneagram into this, into this conversation as well, because as a type four, if I'm feeling sad, I want to feel sadder. And if I'm feeling happy, I want to feel happier. Like there's just this sense of not enough with emo with one emotion as it is. And so trying to deepen it and trying to make it last longer as well. And that was happening with the deep, deep sadness and situational depression that I was experiencing at the time that I was isolating myself. Um, so I don't, for what it's worth, maybe you relate to that. Maybe, you know, like there's, there's somewhere in your mind that's saying what I need is connection with other people. And I'm continuing to choose other things over that in order to keep myself isolated. And maybe that thought never occurs to you and you don't, you don't notice that you're doing it before it's too late. But I think one of the things that can really help, especially if you are physically isolated, or even if you're choosing isolation is, is to plan out when you are going to catch up with people and when you're going to make an honest effort to connect with others in a virtual way. Um, and if, if in-person isn't an option, you know, like, are you scheduling a Zoom session? Are you scheduling a FaceTime session chat or 
on, it's important to do it on days of the week that feel hardest to you. I think that's one thing that I learned in the past few months is that it was so easy to say, well, because this is a hard day, I don't want to connect with anyone, but that is the exact reason why I should have been attempting to connect with people because it was such a hard day. Love languages have been popular for years and years. They were designed by this old white dude named Gary Chapman. I don't know. I've never read the book. It is absolutely quality time. That is what is ultimately is like most important to me. And here is the irony in all of that. Do we get to spend quality time with our spouses when they are deployed? The answer is no. The answer is absolutely not. Do I get to video chat with him? And sometimes those calls are really nice and lovely and it does feel like a date. I mean, yeah, that does happen. And I do think that I have a little bit more uh, privileges when it comes to communication than other spouses that I speak to who, you know, don't hear from their deployed spouse because they're out at sea and can only communicate via email or or whatever for extended periods of time, or it is a combat situation. It's happened a couple times these past few months. That's, again, when I start to feel like my love language is not being met. And it's frustrating for me. It feels like, it starts to feel like I am not a priority and I need to feel like a priority in order to feel secure in my relationship. And Jeremy is um, amazing at showing me that I am a priority. It's not that he isn't good at doing that. It's just that I've had to express that over and over and over again for him to finally understand what is underneath the surface there. And what's underneath the surface is that that is how I receive and want to receive love. I know I'm not the only one too, because this is the conundrum. It's like, how do you, how do you get your love language needs met during a deployment? And unfortunately, the answer to that question is usually you have to find a way. You so since then, since that first month, I've been looking for ways to satisfy my need for quality time uh, with things that have nothing to do with Jeremy. <laughs> and one of those is taking like quality self-care moments for myself. I want to vomit. I hate saying the word. So I hate saying self-care just because it's so it's so overused. And there's so many people out there who are misusing it as well. And I'm talking about like the deep self-care. I'm talking about the time where I spend like time doing exactly what it is that I want to do with zero guilt, zero shame, and being completely unapologetic about it. It's the moments where, oh my gosh, I, can I say this on a podcast? I think, I mean, I know I can say this on a podcast, but I've really been uh, struggling to get here to feel comfortable enough to to say this on a podcast. Solo sex is a possibility during deployment. It's not something that I needed to rely on or I consistently engaged in prior to this deployment, but this deployment has forced me to think about that very differently and to think about my needs and my desires very differently because 
I was literally going to explode if I didn't do something for myself. There are ways to make like quality time dates with yourself. And they may involve self-care activities. They may involve times where you unplug, um, where you take a bath, where you do a face mask, um, where you journal, where you go to therapy, where you have solo sex, where you talk to your partner about like what it is that you're feeling and things that you want to do for yourself or, you know, going to the gym, um, or working out at home or hiring a personal trainer or doing things that are intentional spaces of time that are simply for you and only for you. At the time of this recording, we are approaching seven months into a year-long deployment. So a little bit over halfway, which is wonderful and amazing. Um, and at the first start of the deployment, this was back in July, 2021, I was a little obsessive with the idea of a countdown. Uh, and I think it was very, very helpful in up until like two months in, and then it became, and then it started to work against me a little bit. But in the beginning, what was so helpful about it was the first 30 days were so hard. The first week was so hard. Um, Murphy's Law was a thing. Things were going wrong. All of those typical mill spouse experiences you hear of where somebody's washer and dryer broke or someone in the family got really sick or there was some sort of emergency happening, um, maybe more than one. That happened to me. Uh, I got lice again. I needed to figure out a way to terminate the lice by myself. Luckily, a friend was able to come over and help me with that process, which was deeply embarrassing, and I still hate it. Um, and oh my gosh, work was so challenging that week. And uh, I don't even want to think about all of the other things that happened. But what was really cool in the beginning was that when I was counting down that first week and that first month, it showed how much time had passed. And at that time, that made me feel proud. That made me feel a sense of accomplishment that I had worked through, you know, the first 30 days of the deployment, the first 60 days of the deployment, the really challenging time when you're going through a huge adjustment period. And then by the, by the time the second month was over, that was when things really started to shift for me. Um, that was when situational depression started cropping up for me. And month three and month four were very dark times. Counting down the days and the weeks started to work against me. Um, it started to feel as though time was moving extremely slowly. And so for me to say every day, that's one less day or every week, that's one less week. It actually overwhelmed me. It did the, the opposite of what it's designed to do. It didn't actually make me feel accomplished or as though time were moving forward. It made it as though time were moving extremely slowly or even backward in some cases. And I think that's indicative of having situational depression Time is very different when you are not feeling like yourself and when you are feeling depressed. 
And when your anxiety is really ramped up, like those aren't conditions in which time feels like a friend to you. Those are conditions in which time feels almost like an enemy. Oh, that's a strong term, but I definitely thought that time was an enemy uh, during that period of time, like more than once. So it was around that time that I stopped counting down. And the only countdown that I would start doing was when an entire month had passed. And if you're out there and timelines and time markers really make sense to you, and they do provide a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day or at the end of the week or at the end of the month, keep doing what you're doing because that is working. time I'm recording this, we are about three days away from Jeremy coming home from an 11-month deployment. It was scheduled to be a full 12 months, and we got lucky that it was only 11. Uh, It's, what is it? It's Friday, and he comes home Monday night. I kind of wanted to capture what's going through my mind right now. So when I hear spouses talk about reintegration and, you know, they say all the things that we've probably heard that it requires a ton of patience and that they basically say that the deployment is nothing and you thought that was hard. Cool. Reintegration is what's going to be super hard. And I think there is the potential for that here with us. Um, But I think one advantage that we have I used to think it was a disadvantage, but I think it's an advantage now is that we are about to PCS. We PCS in about two months from now. So he's coming home and yes, like there will be routines of mine that I've created since he's been gone that he will need to fall into. Uh, But our entire environment is about to be shaken up once he gets here, because we're just going to hit the ground running with all of the paperwork and out processing and selling the house and selling the vehicles and, you know, preparing for non-temp storage and household goods and UAB and all of the freaking acronyms that go with an overseas move. Um, So in that way, it kind of is an advantage because there's nothing for him to come home to that has been established that needs to remain the same. We're about to do a complete upheaval. So in that way, I think we're quite fortunate. Um, But the other side of that coin as well is that we don't have time for him to relax, enjoy himself, and take the leave that he truly deserves uh, after being gone for so long. And I know that because he's not going to get that breather, Uh, he's going to be shorter. His temperament is going to be different. And I mean, it's just unfortunate because I think he deserves to rest and he's not going to get to. So I will attempt to remind him any moment when we actually are resting is not a time to be planning and thinking about the future and worrying about different things that might happen with this PCS and that rest is for rest and working is for working. So I will need to be uh, really diligent about our boundaries because he's not, he's not going to be. And I already know that <laughs> part of that has to do with his personality type. And part of it is just 
the conditions in which he's being placed in. I feel ex super excited that he's coming home too. Um, I do feel a little bit uh, nervous in terms of, you know, being in each other's space again and being around one another and needing to like match or not match our energies. And when, when, when the other person is in a down mood, you know, how does that affect the other person? And then when the other one is in a super uplifting, like let's get it all done productivity mode mood, and the other one is feeling exhausted, like those are the kinds of things that I am a, a little bit nervous about. But I am also just really excited to have him here and to not be apart anymore. Hey, male spouse, I interrupt this episode to ask you a really important question. If you have a deployed spouse, I wonder what it would look like for you if you could get support on this journey now instead of shoving your needs down for the 50th time. If you already know you need something like this, I have a deployment support kit for you. Head on over to jlaray.com forward slash deployment kit to grab your free resources created just for you to help you establish a routine while your spouse is deployed. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about how to establish a routine, but I am going to tell you about how to get more emotional support in your life. So head on over to jlaray.com forward slash deployment kit, and I'll include it in the show notes as well. Hey there, Jayla Ray here. And just as others said, or, or tried to warn me, uh, reintegration can be a difficult time. And it is true. It is a difficult time. For us specifically, we've been trying to balance an overseas PCS move uh, and getting used to being around each other again, and that has been a challenge. At the time I am recording this, he's been home from an 11-month deployment for about five weeks now, and we've had a lot of issues communicating with one another. Um, I've picked fights. <laughs> uh, I've been extremely frustrated that I can't get my priorities through to him. And, and I'm always attempting to use anger to express those priorities. Um, I usually don't, you know, notice our communication tendencies until after some sort of spat has occurred. And so right now I'm just working on curbing it before, before it turns into something it doesn't need to be. Um, but in a way there wasn't really, I mean, what I've heard from many military spouses is that you develop your own routine and your own pattern and your own schedule while they are away. And then when they come home, they're picking up from a different place than you are because they're sort of in this space where they're returning to what life was like prior to the deployment and you've more or less changed everything around. Um, and so that can cause tension. And I think in a way there wasn't really a routine of mine that he was stepping back into because everything is in flux right now. We had to prepare for three different shipments for household goods for UAB. Cannot remember what that stands for. <laughs> it's the one that goes by air <laughs> in a crate. And, um, 
and also non-temporary storage. And then we also added the fact that we would have our personal storage unit here stateside. So he came home and, you know, we had a couple days to rest, but then we immediately after that began prepping for all of these shipments. So the priority was to really kick off our PCS season officially and work through our to-do list. So in a way he came home and there wasn't really a routine that he was coming back to that was disrupted. We were both disrupted together. Um, so that kind of unifies us and puts us in a unique position in that way. However, I will say that um, I don't recommend this. I don't recommend PCSing on the heels of a deployment. And if you've heard uh, the rest of the podcast episodes related to deployment, many spouses have come on and said that that's a thing that they've also experienced or that they had to PCS while their spouse was away um, or that they are traveling separately when it comes to PCSs on the heels of deployment or an impending deployment. So I know that it's rather common um, or at least common enough amongst the group of spouses that I've spoken to. But I, when I say I don't recommend it, I just mean that, of course, I can't control it. We can't control it, but I wouldn't, I would not pick this. I would absolutely not pick this. Um, really, the only portion of my routine that I've attempted to keep intact uh, because it requires a schedule are my personal training sessions at the gym. And I eliminated more time at the gym in terms of classes and things like that was definitely part of my routine and I had to drop those, but I felt like that was a worthy sacrifice given everything that we were preparing for. And as long as I can make it to the gym once a week to see my trainer, that has been fine for the last five or six weeks. Um, but we've also had vacations in that time. And so it's just been a little inconsistent. And then there's also, you know, my business that I have needed to do so much for since he has been home. And that has actually been a source of our contention because my business and this podcast and the upcoming speaking engagements that I have, um, and any, you know, random things that are, due this summer. I can't really control those due dates, but they are overlapping with our, with our preparations. And it's been hard to communicate that those are priorities for me, even if they are not priorities for him and they are not pushing the PCS forward, I still have to balance them. They still have to exist and kind of coexist with what's currently going on. So I've had a hard time communicating that. And he has had a hard time understanding that. I think we're on the same page now at the time that I'm recording this, but it took a little while to get there. Um, you know, most of the stuff that I'm preparing for, yes, they have deadlines and things, but I've been working in the margins to complete them when we're not totally consumed with these PCS preparations. Um, so it's been flexible. It hasn't really been a schedule. Sure podcast episodes come out on Saturday. I write 
you know, you, you receive newsletters from me <laughs> on Sundays. If you're not on the email list, you should get there <laughs> because there's a lot happening over there that isn't necessarily happening on social media. Um, so there's all of that. There, there's those kinds of scheduling things, but sometimes I'm working up until the very last minute to, to complete things. So in a way, what I want to say is in a way, this has been a, of benefit to us that there wasn't a routine that he was stepping back into. Um, but it has been really hard to balance everything and to be around one another uh, for long periods of time. <laughs> for the last, you know, week, maybe even two, since we've kind of been back from vacation. We, we live in a five, we currently live in a five bedroom home. And so there's a lot of, at two levels and there's a lot of space here. And so I'll kind of retreat to my own area of the house and he'll kind of retreat to the living room. And after it happened for a few nights in a row, I thought maybe something was wrong. I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe we shouldn't be spending this much time apart and then only coming together for a team huddle to organize PCS crap. Um, but then I realized I was like, you know, this alone time that we are affording to one another is part of this reintegration process. It, it's not something that we said out loud and that we declared that we needed. It was just something that we sort of naturally began to do. And when I questioned it, um, I mean, he just, he was like, oh, I don't, I don't really feel badly about it though. Like we're still spending time together. We still have intentional time, but you know, we want to do our own thing by the time the evening hits. Um, and is that bad? And I was like, oh, I guess it's not bad. If we don't feel like it's bad, then I guess it's not a bad thing. <laughs> we're still, you know, going on dates and, um, watching our shows and, and doing those kinds of things, but we have spent quite a bit of time apart. And so I think what I wanted to, uh, why I wanted to bring that to this episode is that it's a signal to us that we are still enmeshing ourselves <laughs> back together. And that's part of our process. Um, we are both very, I mean, he is definitely more introverted than I am. Um, but I have to be alone in order to recharge, to then go out into the world and to be super social and everything. So we're, we're alike in that way. And I think we just need, um, we need a lot more time to recharge because our energy output is so high right now with the PCS prep. So I'm not shocked that we're spending, you know, three hours every night, just sort of watching our own shows and doing our own thing. So if you're doing that too, <laughs> I don't want you to feel bad about it. <laughs> um, just as long as you're both on the same page about it, then whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of an update on, on what's going on at, at the time that I'm recording this, we're still in our home in Texas we're about a week away from closing on the house and from leaving here and leaving the state of Texas and then heading to Colorado to be with the kids, pick them up, those kinds of things, and then head out to Virginia to see some of Jeremy's family. And we're flying out to Rome 
from Virginia. So we're also about to take a lot of family time. Um, and I think both of our uh, bodies and minds are kind of recognizing that we're about to sacrifice a lot of alone time. And so maybe that's part of why we're just chilling <laughs> while we can <laughs> um, and, and resting as much as we can. So all of that is about to happen. And, you know, once we fly out to Rome, then comes that big wave of transitions and, and change and culture shock and helping the kids to adjust and the time zone difference. And, um, you know, all of those practical things after you just move, like finding the right grocery store to go to getting everybody into the right uh, medical circumstances that they need to be in finding a veterinarian, uh, you know, and those are all things that you can kind of start research on prior to moving, but I haven't. So we're going to be doing all of that <laughs> after, after we, after we arrive and then comes, you know, building our own, our own routines and structures together. Um, that's one of the benefits, I guess, of, of leaving so soon after he's come home uh, is that all of this is about to change anyway. So why not just kind of float until we're forced to make those changes and then do them together and, and figure it out together and with the, with the kids too. If this is one of the first episodes that you're hearing on the podcast, well, hi, hello. There's like a whole series uh, on the deployment itself that I was capturing and recording as the deployment was happening in terms of the reintegration journey and the fate of the deployment series. It's not over. Um, I plan to continue capturing, uh, what the post deployment experience is like, um, I'm not sure to what degree and to how many more episodes or what that's going to look like logistically, but we're not, it's not over. Um, and there's a lot that we are still sifting through as a couple, um, things that happened while he was gone that maybe we haven't had, you know, in-depth conversations about, we haven't had a chance to, or we're just not ready to, um, you know, those things are going to come up. And so I don't, expect this series to be done and over with. And I might potentially bring on other military spouses for you to hear from as well regarding the topic of deployment. It might be a while from now, but this isn't the end of it. And thanks so much for listening to this brief little update on what it's been like to reintegrate. And I hope it brought you some peace of mind. And if you have any questions about reintegration or you just need someone to, someone to vent to just a little bit because it's not going super well. Um, my DMS are open on Instagram and you can let me know what's happening over there. And I'll just let you know that much of it is probably normal. <laughs> I mean, this is my first deployment, my first reintegration. So if it's your first two, then I'm the perfect person to speak to, I think, because my experience with it isn't creating this gigantic gap between us. It's actually bringing us together. So feel free to reach out. All right, y'all talk with you soon. Bye.